When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate. You call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very desperate. You might not be glad that you did. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast and resource devoted to discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I am joined by my co-host and good friend, Chris Bruffett. Chris, how are you doing? Jesse, I'm doing great, man. How are you? I am excellent. We have a big episode today for you, the listener. And just for Chris and I to catch up and talk about all this news, Chris, all these spoilers about this next wave that you and I are both incredibly excited about. And then on top of that, by the time you're listening to this, the AMG con is starting next episode. Chris, we're gonna have so many things to talk about from their con. I cannot wait. AMG tends to not let us down when it comes to these things. So I'm kind of expecting some big stuff. The bar is set really high for me because if you guys have followed us for some time, you've listened to our Gen Con episode. If you haven't, you should listen to it. We actually had a lot of fun discussion about lore and just character ideas and all sorts of things on that episode. But Chris, they won Gen Con out of all the board gaming companies oh, in the world. They won. And guess what? Since Gen Con, they've acquired all of FFG's Star Wars licenses. So now also they're kind of doing a mini Gen Con that's just AMG, which means... For me, the super fan, I'm getting all this MCP content. I'm getting all this content about the future of Star Wars games as well. I just can't wait. It's going to be an exciting three days. So if you want to mark your calendars, of course, you probably already know what day it is because it's about to start. But the days, of course, are the 18th, 19th, and the 20th. That's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And AMG is going to be doing their typical thing where they're going to be doing a lot of fun streams. I'm assuming some painting streams, Chris, but I'm also assuming some announcement streams. And I just can't wait. Like, I'm sure we're going to see some MCP models. We're going to see some Star Wars models, how they design the game, and also just painting. I think it's going to be really fun. The announcements are always just so fun for me to think about and match these characters up lore-wise with kind of what I think their kits are going to look like and things like that. It just, it leads to a lot of cool stuff. And I'm hoping with AMG acquiring that uh, Star Wars license that it will kind of reignite my will to play Legion. I'd be very excited about that, Chris, as you know, because as I mentioned last week, I've been finally back into my Star Wars titles because... Things are getting better here. There's a lot of people in the state of Oklahoma vaccinated, which is great. My family is vaccinated now. 
I just got my vaccination. So these are all really good things. I'm looking forward to getting Star Wars tabletop to the table, getting MCP to the table, experiencing things like this OP kit coming, this Infinity War OP kit coming. I'm so hyped on all this, Chris. It's going to be a lot of fun. And as soon as I get my second dose of the vaccine, right? I know I'm planning at least a day in Charlotte to oh. play some MCP. That is exciting. Listeners, if you live in Charlotte, reach out to us. I know a couple of you have, which has been really great. Chris would like to play with you and meet you. That'd be great. Please do. But Chris, we're going to have to temper our excitement until we actually hear the announcements. So stay tuned. Of course, subscribe to our show. Follow us on social media. Chris and I are going to be posting updates there, but also we're going to be having a really fun episode next time. So we're going to break our format with a character episode, and we're actually just going to have a deep dive onto all these AMG announcements and kind of just our initial thoughts on them. So stay tuned for that. But Chris, we've got to temper all that excitement, like I said, and we're not even going to speculate on what's coming. We're just going to sit back and enjoy it because we've got plenty to talk about today in the way of Marvel Christ Protocol spoilers, starting with Bob, agent of Hydra. So we talked about Bob from the last couple episodes, Chris, from information from the blogs, but now we actually have Bob's card. In a nutshell, Bob is a two-threat Six stamina total, so three on each side character. His defenses are two physical, two energy, two mystic. So he's akin to a rocket, but weaker, which is excellent. He has a four dice range three Hydra pistol attack. That's, of course, his strike. But more importantly, we talked about his awesome range four nine dice rocket launcher attack. It's got all sorts of crazy things. The craziest thing to me is no matter what you're doing to the target, Chris, it doesn't really matter because there's a trigger before damage is dealt. All of the characters within range two of the target suffer two damage. And then Bob gets launched back short before damage is dealt. Bob is thrown away from the target character short. So Bob throws himself backwards, almost like the enemy character did a push to Bob, if that makes sense, which is very thematic of the rocket. The throw is resolved by the player controlling the target character. So you actually get, get to kind of control it. Then if Bob does not have a daze token, he suffers three damage. It's hilarious. Like he dies doing this, but turns out Chris, he's got some weird stuff. We talked about, he has to pay eight power to load his rocket, which is very expensive. He also has hydro tactics, which Bucky has on the winter soldier card, which is great to see that again, pay two to choose another allied character within range two of Bob place Bob within range one of them, which is fine. And of course he starts the game with a one loaded rocket token. But the crazy part about Bob, Chris, we've got to talk about is this but how superpower on his injured side. If this character does not have an activated token and would be KO'd by having damage tokens placed on him, it gains a day's token instead. During the cleanup phase, when you would normally flip this character's card as a result of a day's token, it remains on its injured side and then Bob loses three power. Also, it has a clause if there's any point in the game where Bob's on his injured side and you have no other allies alive on the table, you lose the game. Basically getting around that weird scenario where Bob's sitting on an objective in a corner, I think Chris, you right. know, your only model and he's scoring and he, somehow you win. But what do you think about this whole crazy 
head scratching loop we got where Bob shoots his rocket, he gains a daze token, he suffers three damage, or if he had a daze token, he doesn't suffer damage. On his backside, when he would die, he just gets a daze token. I'm not quite sure yet. It's very funny. It's very fun. You know, he's a henchman. It's very thematic. Yeah, for two threat, the possibility of, of throwing that nine dice rocket might be worth it. Yeah. Also, forget the rocket. How about just Bob sitting on an objective all game and essentially you can never kill him? Or if you do go kill him, what are you sending to kill him? Are you sending a stronger character than him to go kill him and they wasted their turn to do that just for him to come back again the following turn? Mm. It's interesting. I'm sending Nebula. Nebula is the right choice. And obviously listeners of the podcast might know that I'm a fan of Nebula. Something I talked about recently on Omnis Protocol. I think Nebula is the great choice, but outside of Nebula and playing Guardians, I mean, Chris, it's it's complicated. Obviously, I think a good way to deal with Bob is ranged characters, but you really don't want to send someone super powerful to deal with him because that's a waste of their time. Naturally, you have to kind of think Hawkeye, you know, long shots and... of course. Maybe even throw a shot or two every once in a while from the next character we need to talk about. I would say that might be the way to go. But I think my biggest takeaway from Bob, Chris, is that he's a two threat that's not Rocket. That's kind of a different version of Rocket that obviously is going to have some different affiliations than Rocket. I think that's actually super cool. So I'm hoping and assuming Bob is going to be on the Cabal team. And that will give Cabal a two threat character. And that's pretty interesting. So we will see where where this goes. We'll talk more Bob in the future. But as Chris said, we've got to move on to a very exciting character that Chris and I have wanted to talk about for some time and he's going to come up on the show chris which is going to be a great and fun episode to do that's cable i'm so excited for that episode and i'm so excited to play this character his kit is awesome yeah he's a powerhouse he's five threat he's 13 health which is really nice he is a short move similar to you know things like magneto and stuff we've seen in the past but a bigger base his defenses are three physical three energy four mystic which is pretty interesting but chris like he's got a lot of features that you and i wanted he is a damage dealer oh yeah but more importantly he's a really strong support leader character and that's everything i wanted i wanted him to be this threat at close range and threat even at long range. But more importantly, I wanted him to have these support features that we've kind of known Cable to do in X-Force, just in his power set in general. And I, I think it's super cool. He's looking like he's going in my main bag, my competitive yeah. bag. Sure. And I'm thinking it's going to be him and Scott as my team leaders. I'm into that. I know Scott's not competitive, but... I could see that. Scott being on Cable's team... If anything, from a purely thematic stance, is incredibly fun. Oh, yeah. I'm into that. That's more what I'm here for anyway. So let's talk about that affiliation, Chris. It is Wetworks, the affiliation X-Force. Each allied character may reroll one die in their attack rolls once per turn. So if Scott attacked twice in a turn, it's only one of those attacks. So a little bit weaker version of Wakanda, but it's interesting because Wakanda, you pay money to do it. And you kind of have the variability of, do you want to use an attacks, defense, or dodge? Not the case with X-Force, only attacks. But Cable's got a range five, five dice energy attack strike that gives incinerate, which is awesome from his long range rifle. But he's also, Chris, got an A2, seven die mystic attack. I mean, it's just so thematic, man. And it heals Cable. And it heals him. So it's like a Venom attack, but you're attacking everyone. You know, Venom is attacking one target, right? And he's getting that symbiote heal. 
this is so cool. This is like late game when Cable's powered up and he's in an objective and everybody's clumped up, right? You don't want to give him this because, you know, Mystic is not as represented as physical defense. We've talked about before, like energy and Mystic defense are less represented. So it's interesting that we got our first Mystic A2 in the game. And it's really nice. I'm happy it's our boy Cable. I am as well. And of course, Chris, he's got a couple superpowers. I say a couple. He's got his affiliation, which we just talked about, what works. And then he has five superpowers. Number one, he's immune to poison, which is awesome, thematic. Also, he has techno-organic virus suppression. During the power phase, Cable gains one additional power, so he's kind of like an Asgardian. He's also got telekinetic shield, where he can pay two power to give an allied character within range three two additional dice on their defense roll before they roll their dice. He's also got almost a magneto level throw, where he can basically pay one to four power equal to the size of a piece of terrain so size four or less essentially he throws at medium which is amazing and then he also can pay two power to basically move himself range two without taking a move action of course so maybe there's gonna be some turns chris where you pay two power move range two up to an objective and just double tap with your rifle that's exactly what i'm thinking is going to happen a lot you're going to build power off that double rifle attack too and then maybe you can throw something with his omega level mutant throw in a perfect world (laughs) in a perfect world it's going to happen so he is quite the force you know we've talked about this on the podcast i'm going to continue saying it chris they're in the 70 model plus range right now cable's model is easily in the top five in my opinion and he might be in the top two or three it's just a good model man It's incredible. Him bringing up that shield, blocking literal bullets and explosions. He's commanding the field. His cape's moving. What more could you ask for with Cable? I honestly don't know. It's beautiful. I'm extremely excited to have one. It's my current favorite model in the game. It usurped Angela and Green Goblin, Mm. which were up there for me. As everyone knows that listens to podcasts, Angela and Green Goblin are still incredible they're way up there and there's just so many good models in the game chris it's so hard to like nail it down what the best is but i think cable right now might be the best that is currently we know about so i might change my tune when i get to see what mysterio and carnage look like but that might also be the fan in me you know being a little biased but i think this is so evocative of cable and like i also think a mini like this, Chris, even someone who doesn't know Cable very well, say somebody that knows Cable only from the Marvel and Capcom games. If they're walking by a table and they see this, first of all, they know it's Cable. Second of oh, all, yeah. they're going to be like, I got to see what's happening in this game. I got to see it. This game has that that shop appeal, man. It has that, that draw because these are characters everybody knows and loves. Right. However deep you are in the lore, it doesn't really matter. Like, People know these characters, at least visually. Sometimes I don't even know their names, but they know them visually. Like people know Gambit, people know Cable, even some of the more casual fans, like might not even remember their names, but like if you see characters like this on the table, I mean, you're going to walk over and check it out and talking about shop appeal. You're absolutely right, Chris. And I'm really looking forward to later in this year when the world continues to be on the upswing what that looks like for MCP because MCP never fully got that. And it's crazy how big, how exciting, and just how robust the game is without any of that. That's just crazy. Like this game's going to go so many more places when people can sit down and play these OP kits and things. People can like go to a store, see cable and just buy it. You know, that's pretty great. I think that the world coming back to normal is going to be nothing but good news for AMG and Crisis Protocol. Like you were saying, just having these characters on the table to catch people's eyes, it's going to be great. And the fact that the model range is so expansive now, it's not just the 
starter kit anymore. It's incredibly large. It, it encompasses a lot of different corners. And like you just said, it's it's only growing. So I think we've got some real potential for this game to see some big gains as the world kind of returns to normality. Absolutely, Chris. I'm really looking forward to where it goes in the narrative and fun realm and also in the competitive realm. I think the game's got so many avenues of cool places to go at local stores. Like I said, these OP kits, like people showing up to actually play things like the Wakandan Heist or the Infinity League kit or kits that are coming out in the future. And then, of course, tournaments, just regular tournaments, people just playing models they want to play, showing up to a tournament, having fun. You know, it's going to be really, really fun. But we've got to move on from Cable and finish out with some information we learned about Sin. So we know Sin's coming into the game. She, of course, is Johann Schmidt's daughter. This was a curveball for me, Chris, that Sin and Viper are both coming this early. And I think it's great villain characters. And I think it's interesting enough. But what's crazy is AMG now has confirmed that Sin is the second leader of the Cabal. So now Cabal will have a second leader akin to Magneto and Mystique. And I think that's actually super cool. I think that's called for for such an expansive faction as the Cabal, too. Given that there's going to be a lot less villain options just naturally through the the nature of Marvel comics, but absolutely. And I got to read her affiliation ability here, Chris, because they did mention it in the article. It's a bit hidden, but I think it's super cool during each cleanup phase after scoring victory points, sin gets to roll a die for each objective contested by a friendly character. So that's of course a objective that your enemy has a character there and you have a character there. If Sin's role produces a hit, wild, or crit, she can push each enemy character contesting the objective away short. Red Mayhem also forced the enemy characters holding assets within proximity of Sin's allies to drop their civilian asset tokens for the Cabal to scoop up. This is a crazy affiliation, Chris. I I'm not sure how it's going to work, but basically, if you've got people on objectives, say Crossbones, contesting against an enemy player on an objective, and she just rolls a random die and she gets the result she wants, they just get moved away short outside of the actual turns of the game, like during, you know, the cleanup of the game. That could be huge, man. Like, that could be really bad for a Hulk. That could be really bad for a Thor. <laughs> You know, like there's a lot of things here that are super cool. And then, of course, people dropping civilian tokens. That's crazy. It's an interesting wrinkle. It's just now we're suddenly playing with turn order mechanics. Full control here, too. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting wrinkle and could be the beginning of some wild powers. Well, more importantly, too, Chris, I think hopefully something you and I mentioned and conveyed to the listeners on our Brotherhood episodes. It's just so interesting, too. Like every time Magneto and Mystique are in your 10 models, your opponent actually doesn't know which leadership you're going to do. And that's going to be the same now going forward with the Red Skull and Sin. People are like, are they going the Red Skull leadership or are they going the Sin leadership, right? Because all they see across the table is 10 models and two of those are Red Skull and Sin. I think that's super interesting as well. And also there's going to probably be a lot of crossover between Criminal Syndicate. So say you've got Kingpin in your list as well. Well, now you've really got them confused on what you're actually going to play. And it's super cool. It's kind of like variable. You can go the route you want to go. Do you want to go the aggro, get more power as the game goes on, cabal ramp? Do you want to go the criminal syndicate? Everybody counts as two on objectives and you can move tokens. Or do you want to go the sin route and control objectives in an interesting way? Your opponent just won't know until your list is fully revealed. But I will tell you, Chris, Crossbones is in all those teams. So... <laughs> 
There you go. That's for you. You know, I need crossbones in my life. He's good on those teams, for sure. Well, yeah, he's he's extremely niche. I just I think that uh, it speaks to AMG's design here that there's still a place in the game for that character, for characters as flawed as he is with, you know, power creep having led to flawed characters with higher payoffs than crossbones. Well, we've talked about like crossbones is in the best place he's ever been currently, which is saying something big. You're not going to be taking him on teams that are outside of Cabal and Criminal Syndicate. That's the biggest caveat, you know? You're not taking crossbones on Brotherhood. You're just not, you know? Like, there's things like that where it's interesting. But, you know, Chris, there's probably some variability and some interesting things going on. Like, you could bring crossbones with Deadpool in X-Force, right, with Cable. And do you really want to mess with crossbones and Deadpool when they're on objectives, you know? And then they also get to reroll attack dice, which they love to do anyways. I think crossbones is still fine. He's still fine. People just forget about him because there's a lot of shiny threes in the game. There's a lot of models in the game. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to Viper. And once again, Chris, like Cable, Domino, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Sin, and Viper are all now on the Atomic Mask Gallery. So you can even go in, look at their models, look at the release order, and we'll have them all in May. It's going to be a good time in May. That's all of the news this week. That's a lot of news. We're not talking about any of that today, Chris. We're actually talking about something completely different because we're continuing our path of the release order of the game. You know, we of course did Ant-Man and Wasp, and those were a really fun departure from the X-Men. And man, we're we're in another big departure today. We're actually finally fully into the Defenders. And today we're discussing Doctor Strange and Wong. Fury's Finest is sponsored by Discount Games, Inc. Go to DiscountGamesInc.com for all your Marvel, Crisis Protocol, and miniature gaming needs. Our patrons support Fury's Finest at Patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. If you enjoy our show, consider supporting it with a monthly contribution. We thank all of our patrons for their support. Guys, it really means a lot to us. Those of you that have stuck with us during this time, we actually have a lot of goals this year. I have a lot of things I want to improve the podcast, branch out into other content for the show. And if the Patreon grows, those are things we can do. So if you're thinking about joining the Patreon, it's a good little community and you know it's a monthly contribution and you make this show run. We really appreciate it. We've got a lot of ideas in the future. If the Patreon takes off, we're going to pursue them. This week, it's a very big and special thank you to Rock and a Hard Place. Great name. Yeah, great name. Thank you so much for your patronage. Chris, the humor is not lost on me that this patron subscribed during the pandemic, which is great. That was a Rock and a Hard Place time, and you guys kept us going. And of course, we got to thank our Avenger producer, Matthew R., because the producers are really what make this show continue and we just keep coming back chris and the patreon really just helps keep us going forward and do all this work for every episode and really means a lot so thank you thanks guys so chris we're into dr strange and wong today so up front we can talk to you guys right now and say this is gonna be a little bit different because we're doing two characters but we're really focusing on one character that's dr strange and chris Correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's almost like the level of saying, we're going to talk about Batman's origins, but we're also going to talk about Alfred. It's very similar where Wong is probably a little bit more capable in combat. He is essentially a character that was created to be an assistant to another character. Right. We have two characters that are always back and forth in conversation, always back and forth in these sort of situations. So it's a similar premise in my mind to Batman and Alfred, though we're going to go a different direction. 
It definitely will. And let's start this week by talking about who is Doctor Strange and who is Wong. Doctor Stephen Strange, of course, we've all seen the wonderful movie. And like the movie, the character is kind of a foray into the psychedelic early on. Yes, some of the early writers and, and artists kind of garnered a reputation for appealing to a uh, young adult college age crowd that maybe experimented a little bit. Both characters were created by Steve Ditko and a little bit Stan Lee, but mostly Steve Ditko, and first appeared in Strange Tales number 110 from July 1963. Taking it way back. Way, way back. But unlike some of our other legacy characters, these two have not been in the limelight for that entire time. So their comic runs are kind of sporadic. Their team appearances are kind of sporadic. They kind of come in and out. So let's talk about their powers. Doctor Strange, of course, is a practicing magician who draws his power from mystical entities such as Agamotto, Saitarak, Ikon, Ashtar, Ragador, Watum, you know, all those fellas. And of course, these entities lend their energies to him for these spells. Strange is also a wielder of mystical artifacts, including the Cloak of Levitation, which enables him to fly the Eye of Agamotto, an amulet whose light is used to negate evil magic, the Book of Vishanti, which is a grimoire which contains vast knowledge of white magic, and the Orb of Agamotto, which is a crystal ball which is used for clairvoyance. In addition to his magical abilities, he's also trained in several martial arts disciplines, including and kind of specializing in judo. He's shown proficiency with numerous magically conjured weapons, including swords and axes. Strange has, of course, been described as the mightiest magician in the cosmos, more powerful by far than any of your fellow humanoids by the sentience of the Marvel Universe eternity. He has been the Sorcerer Supreme for most of his existence as a character. He's treated as one of the smartest, most powerful characters on 616 Earth. Doctor Strange is a very powerful dude. And of course, Wong, by contrast, is an athletic man with no powers. He's a master martial artist. He's capable of punching way above his weight for a non-powered human, but he is also well acquainted with the dark arts as the servant and friend of Strange. Wong can hold his own against mystical foes, but he has no actual magic of his own, though he has performed a few spells in the past. Very different from the Wong of the MCU. Very different from the Wong of the MCU. So let's start our history real quick with Wong. He descends from a family that has been serving the Sorcerer Supreme and other powerful magic users for a very long time. And Wong is the latest in that tradition. He has a history and he has some nuance and he's got some very interesting things that happen to him every once in a while, specifically when he comes back after the Secret Wars reset, he presented more as a as an equal or friend to Strange, maybe partner 
to Strange more than a servant, but before that, he he's always just kind of been tagging along with Strange. So we're going to mostly talk about Strange in this lore episode. Of course, we all know after the MCU Doctor Strange movie, Strange's origin story. It wasn't very well spread before that movie, I don't think. But Strange was a very hotshot PhD, egotistical doctor, really was very gifted, very talented, but really only was very selfish. He really only cared about his career and, and amassing wealth and accolades. And of course, he shatters all the bones in his hands after a car crash, and he's never able to use his hands in surgery or his practice again, which leads him to scouring the world for a cure. He never really finds that cure, but he does stumble upon the Ancient One and becomes a disciple of the Ancient One. And after the Ancient One's passing, he will become the Sorcerer Supreme. Strange and Wong would appear on and off through the 60s in Strange Tales and then in the Doctor Strange solo series, then back to Strange Tales. They'd be used intermittently through the 60s, bouncing between duo books and their own solo titles and anthologies. And this, of course, would establish the Strange lore, the Eye of Agamotto and all his mystical phrases and spells. But in the 70s, Strange is going to appear in the Defenders, the quote-unquote non-team team uh, that Marvel had in the 70s, which he is in, in MCP, of course. And then after his run with the Defenders, he's going to star in a relaunched Marvel premiere. And in this series, Strange is going to confront the Ancient One and have to shut down the Ancient One's mind, causing his mentor's death. This is when Strange will become the Sorcerer Supreme. And after this, he will go through history with Sis Neg in Genesis backwards. Very, I don't know how to say it, guys. I'm sorry on that one. He's going to go back through history with backwards Genesis, collecting all these, these energies and he's even going to reach the beginning of the universe and become all-powerful and then create the universe anew. And this, of course, is going to leave Doctor Strange to wonder if he is God himself. And after this is written by Steve Englehart and drawn by Frank Bruner, they quickly get sent a message by Stanley that they need to retract that, saying that maybe it was Doctor Strange saying maybe he was as powerful as a god, and but not the god. Very interesting. Well, they went ahead and did a slight retraction, but Eagleheart also wrote a fake letter from a quote-unquote minister in Texas praising the story, and Marvel printed it in Doctor Strange number three and dropped the retraction afterwards based on this fake letter. Kind of gave them the feeling that it was okay, which I, I just thought was absolutely hilarious. In 86, Strange is going to meet his allies Topaz in Rintra in a series that is going to see the Sanctum Sanctorum damaged heavily when Strange is going to lose his entire collection of mystic books and artifacts. And as a consequence, Strange would be considerably weaker 
and several dis- several spells that had been designed to protect humanity from vampires and other evil serpents sent by Set had expired, and Strange now had to confront them. Some of the publishing strangeness would happen again here. The rest of the story would then be moved into the book Strange Tales. This is going to be volume two. And Doctor Strange is going to share his title with Cloak and Dagger. And in this Strange Tales volume two, this is when Doctor Strange is going to resolve that problem of missing power and reclaim those artifacts and even resurrect his friends, the Defenders. In the 90s, Doctor Strange would lose his title as Sorcerer Supreme during the Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme comic run, which would run for about 90 issues. When he was kind of depowered as the Sorcerer Supreme, he found a new power source in Chaos Magic, and this kind of changed him a little bit. This is also when he's going to kind of be lumped in this group that Marvel, it was kind of unofficial official type thing called the Midnight Suns, which was really, really cool. Group of supernatural comics, basically. And by 95, Strange will have reformed the Defenders with with a rotating cast, as well as reuniting with the original Defenders, and he would reclaim the title of Sorcerer Supreme. Doctor Strange would go on through the 90s, appearing in various teams and dealing with his old foe Dormammu and kind of juggling the responsibilities of being a sorcerer and a doctor. That's the way they went with it then. Not the most interesting, in my opinion. The 2000s would see Strange mostly appearing as a supporting character. He would play roles in Civil War. He would appear with the Avengers. He would appear with the Defenders. At one point, the Eye of Agamotto will pass from Strange to Brother Voodoo, who in the 2010s would actually become the Sorcerer Supreme. Strange, of course, would eventually become Sorcerer Supreme again, but he would be possessed by a demon and become the leader of the Black Priest. This would lead right into Secret Wars, where Strange played a pretty important role as the god Doctor Doom in this case. As kind of his right-hand man, his... I think they might even use the King's Hand imagery. You know, Game of Thrones hadn't really gone down yet at that point. But we'd come out on the other side of this with one of my favorite Doctor Strange runs. And anyone who's a fan of the show knows that I love Jason Aaron. And in 2015, Jason Aaron and artist Chris Boccolo would do volume four of Doctor Strange, where Strange will hire a librarian. Strange and Wong had returned to the Sanctum Sanctorum on Bleecker Street. Of course, hiring a librarian would lead to all kinds of shenanigans as she tried to catalog Strange's library. And in 2015, Jason Aaron and Chris Boccolo would team up to do Doctor Strange Volume 4. And here through a series of comedic misfortunes, of course, the laws of magic would fundamentally be altered. And there's generally just a lot less. And so this whole run is kind of about Doctor Strange trying to still protect the Earth 
from Mystical Threats without all of his power. It's very fun. It's actually my recommended comic. And that is where we're going to leave off lore today. Strange and Wong have had a very strange journey through the years in Marvel. They've been at the forefront and they've been afterthoughts. It's been kind of a very herky-jerky, jilted existence. But Doctor Strange is a very cool character. And there's some excellent art in a lot of these runs. And I would recommend just checking some of them out. Well, Chris, you mentioned Dormammu a couple times, and I'd be remiss if I did not talk about how much I love Dormammu. So Dormammu, of course, is the primordial interdimensional entity of the cosmic realm, crazy powers in the dark dimension. And he's kind of like Strange's main villain that reoccurs and comes back and all this stuff. And we saw this in the movie too, but maybe one day AMG will do Dormammu and we get to do a Dormammu episode. But I think it's worth mentioning that like Strange or Dormammu are pretty tied together, similar to like what we talked about in the past, like the Batman and Joker sort of thing. They just always meet paths again. And, you know, we always have these great heroes and there's always a great villain somewhere tied to these heroes, you know? Oh, there always is. Of course, I think DC does a little bit better with the villains. They do. That's their strength, though. But it's cool to me that, like, Strange has a lot of villains. He fights a lot of cosmic entities, too. But Dormammu seems like the one constant. And you mentioning that whole storyline where he's, like, possessed and working for the Black Priest and all this stuff, that's very interesting to me. Like, that's very different for Marvel, and I like that a lot. It's always good when they kind of break their paradigm and and get outside of just the expected and I think Doctor Strange has always been a great medium for that. Absolutely. He's really allowed creators to explore, you know, kind of a, a wilder side, maybe a more introspective side, too. I'm into that, too. Moving on to Doctor Strange and the MCU, they've taken some liberties. They've changed some things here and there. But basically, you know, let's go through his movies and then, of course, who he was played by. And then, of course, Wong as well. So appearances in the MCU for Doctor Strange, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, he's mentioned, but Doctor Strange is his first appearance. Then, of course, we have Thor Ragnarok, Avengers Infinity War, and Avengers Endgame. He plays a major role. You know, he's the catalyst for a lot of things in those movies. Also, you know, he gives up the time gem to Thanos because he tells Tony, like, this is the only way, you know, out of all the possible futures and universes I looked into, the only possible universe where we actually defeat Thanos, I have to give up the stone to him, which is a crazy thing. Of course, he's mentioned in Spider-Man Far From Home. Apparently, he's going to make an appearance potentially in Spider-Man No Way From Home, which is the new Spider-Man. But most importantly, Doctor Strange 2, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Oh, so excited. It's going to be real good, Chris. I'm really looking forward to it. It's directed by Sam Raimi. So Sam Raimi is returning to the superhero universe once again. He, of course, is the guy who kicked all this off with the Spider-Man films and how much money they made. (laughs) And then it was X-Men and then it was everything Marvel after that. You know, just all the money. But Raimi kicking this off. It's pretty cool. Raimi coming back. And like Sam Raimi doing horror and doing cosmic horrors and all this stuff, which I'm hoping Multiverse of Madness is about, is right up his alley, man. I'm really looking forward to that. But Doctor Strange, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, was one of the most delightful casting choices I had heard in a long time. And then they go ahead and cast Benedict Wong as Wong. Let's talk about the two Benedicts playing Doctor Strange and Wong, and then Benedict Wong playing Wong. Chris, like how incredible is that? I mean, there's two Benedicts on the set. It makes you think they planned it, right? A little bit. 
a little bit. But Benedict Wong's a pretty prolific and all over the place. Like he's been in so many things, Chinese actor. He's a good fit for Wong. And then of course they have good chemistry and humor, but then you just add the funny factor that they're both named Benedict. It's like a fun trivia thing for you, listener. It's a great trivia question. That's for sure. What are the odds that his name is Benedict Wong? Like his names are the name of his co-host and then the name of his character. It's it's something else. And of course, I've got to mention one of my favorite actors of all time. I think one of the greatest living actors today, Mads Mikkelsen, being the villain in Doctor Strange, did not get enough time. One movie is not enough Mads for me. I say the same thing every time I watch Rogue One. One movie is oh, not yeah, enough sure. Mads, you know as Galen Erso, as Jin's dad, as the architect of the Death Star. Mads Mikkelsen is just a gem, and you should see everything he's been in. But what do you think, Chris, about Benedict Cumberbatch playing Doctor Strange? The timing was kind of perfect. He was at his Sherlock height. He was at like sort of like this level of building, of course, a cult following. You know, Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's like in The Hobbit as smog, and then he's, of course, Doctor Strange. And then the rest is history, right? He nailed the character. He did. You know, we, we were all a little taken aback by his American accent at first. It's good, though. It's very Hugh Laurie, like from House. Yeah, we just weren't ready for it. He's been great. He's really made the character his own on screen. I think his mannerisms have affect the way the character is drawn in the comics. 100%. I think he did great. Well, and let's also talk about Benedict Wong, like bringing Wong to life. Like, as you talked about before, Wong is more a martial arts master who is Dr. Strange's Alfred. They, of course, expand that in the MCU. Wong is just, you know, another master of the mystic arts as well, though not on the level of Strange in the movies, but he's very close. Of course, you know, Dr. Strange and Wong are the ones who bring everyone to the final battle in Endgame, that incredible portal song, that moment, you know, on your left with cap i mean that's just a moment man that's just a moment i watched it the other day again and you know of course we have strange and wong and strange says did we get all of them and the wong says what you wanted more is this not enough and you know it's a good moment they are very powerful you know i mean just they're multi-dimensional portals enough you know is, is a whole nother thing oh yeah but it's interesting to me the route they took wong i also personally truly love and adore the fight in infinity war between strange and wong iron man in ebony maw and of course black dwarf like what a great fight you know we've got these two masters of the mystic arts and we have iron man fighting a incredibly powerful you know alien mage as well and then we have the black dwarf it's just good man there's some really good strange long moments in these movies they've kind of like become new fan favorites like they kind of snuck in you know i think it built up over the years well, I think the Strange movie was their spotlight, right? And then they kind of made appearances. Right. And then, of course, the things they did in Infinity War and Endgame were major parts, you know? And Strange dies, you know, in Infinity War. Right. Once again, Strange has an incredible fight against Thanos. I mean, he even splits himself into all of his forms, right? Uh, something that only the Sorcerer Supreme can do. And they explore a lot of this. It's very interesting. And then, of course, like in-game, when Bruce is going to get the stone pre-Doctor Strange, like that's an interesting dynamic as well. Like it's it's a lot of things coalescing. And I kind of love that Strange is like is the center of all these like time things in the MCU. And maybe that's the way going forward too. Well, it makes sense that you would have, you know, possibly your biggest name actor is kind of a linchpin 
going forward. Yeah, he's definitely the hotness right now, right? So he he might not be the biggest. It's just hard, man. There's so many of them now. Like the MCU has built so many people up, you know. Tom Holland has three movies this year, which is crazy. Like he played Spider Man, and then it's just been off to the races, you know, for him. But Chris, we've always got to close out our lore with the same exciting finish we always have in our lore. We need a comic book recommendation involving Strange and Wong. Well, like I said earlier, it's going to be Doctor Strange Volume 4, the 2015 Doctor Strange title, written by Jason Aaron with art by Chris Boccolo. It's very fun. Yeah, and it's a good starting point, too, if you've never read anything Doctor Strange. Just jump in. Like Jason Aaron's really good at that, Chris. Oh, absolutely. He is absolutely one of my favorites. Well, Chris, we've talked about Doctor Strange in lore, but now we've got to move on to Doctor Strange in strategy. So, Chris, we're going to do Doctor Strange and Wong together. So, this is a little different lore. I will say Doctor Strange is pretty complex. Wong is pretty simple. So, we're just going to jump right into Doctor Strange. So, if you have his card at home, just grab it. Dr. Strange, Stephen Vincent Strange's alter ego. On his healthy side, he has six stamina, a medium move, a height of two, and a threat cost of five. His defenses are three physical, four energy, and four mystic. And of course, on his injured side, he also has six stamina, putting him at 12 for five threat. What are your thoughts about Dr. Strange's stats? I think that five threat characters are kind of my favorite characters. They are few and far between. I know, but they're all so impactful without being a whopping sixth threat. I love this. His health pool is good. His defenses are good. It's good. Five threat's good, right? That's something we continue reference. Like, sixth threat is least represented, right? But now, let's just go through the five threats. We have Angela, Black Bolt, Cable, technically, Doctor Strange, Ebony Maw, Ghost Rider, Thor, Prince of Asgard, and that's it, Chris. That's it. So as we know, most of the characters in the game are threes and fours. Then we got some interesting twos, some interesting fives, and a couple sixes. So it's an interesting space for Strange to be in. You're absolutely right. And I will say, Chris, like just like Thor, these characters, if used right, can just be oppressive. Can just be oppressive. And Strange is no different. I'm still working on the using them right part. So let's move on to his attacks. His first attack is going to be an energy attack. It is Bolts of Bedevilment is a range 4, strength 5, of course power cost 0, attack. After this attack is resolved, this character gains power equal to the damage dealt. And if this attack deals damage, after it is resolved, Strange may push the target character short. That's insane. That's really good. Very, very cool. In contention for one of the best strikes in the game of course we have magneto strike if it's in range two he gets all those re-rolls with the six dice oh, which yeah. is really nice but i think strangers is just as good chris because notice this says if it deals damage after the attack is resolved strange may push them short notice you did not say away towards mm-hmm. you just move a character short any direction so you've got a range four five dice builder which is excellent with the least representative defense in the game energy but who cares you just move the enemy short which is huge in this game because you just moved him off an objective right very powerful one of the best strikes in the game his second and last attack chris is a mystic attack called crimson bands of sidorak it is a range three strength of six four power cost 
attack. After this attack is resolved, the target character gains the stagger special condition. Just full stop. Like, you don't need a wild result. You don't need any sort of special combination. When this is resolved, even if it dealt no damage, they gain a stagger. So they're losing their next action. But you've also got Mystic Binding, which is a new twist on a wild trigger. If you get a crit, wild, and hit in your dice results, Mystic Binding triggers. After this attack is resolved, instead of inflicting the stagger condition, if the target character does not have an activated token, Strange may give them an activated token. That's so wild. When this was revealed at Gen Con... You couldn't handle it, Chris. You just couldn't handle it. Oh no. It still just blows my mind, but I've had a I've I've seen it a few times now. So it's not as crazy, but it's crazy. It's not going to happen that often. Just more importantly, this is a 6 strength attack that gives auto stagger, which is phenomenal, but if you get that sort of Yahtzee roll, Chris, you just give an activation token, which is just so cool. It's just so cool. Like, you just take away an activation if you do this right. Yes, but it happens so infrequently that I would not recommend choosing your targets based on who has an activation token. You should still go after get who needs got and and just hope for that to happen sometime. And this is an excellent attack for four power, six strength mystic, which is, you know, not a lot of people have good mystic defenses necessarily, and giving auto stagger. I'm into that. So, like, forget the Yahtzee result entirely. Oh, yeah. So, Chris, we got to move on to his superpowers because he has a lot of them. And starting with, he is the affiliation leader of a new affiliation, the Defenders. So, his Defenders leadership is called Mystic Empowerment, and this is one of my favorite affiliations in the game. Once per turn, when an allied character declares an attack before choosing a target, it may spend one power. If it does, you may choose whether this attack type is physical, energy, or mystic. If this attack deals damage, the target character gains the hex special condition. Now, what's interesting about this, Chris, is you get to change your attack type. So whatever they are good at defending against, you're going to change it to what they're bad at defending against. It's pretty simple. But then if damage gets through, they get the hex special condition, which reads like this. The character with a hex token does not roll additional dice for its critical results during attack, defense, or dodge results. That is powerful. So you do not explode crits anymore. That's very good. And for them to shake it off, they have to sacrifice one of their actions. It's it's a win-win. It really is, man. And I just love changing the attack type. Oh, yeah. This shreds Logan, for instance, right? If you're attacking Logan with a big physical attack, he's fine with that. But if you suddenly change it to a mystic attack with Doctor Strange because you're playing defenders, Logan might be dying now. Yeah, it almost feels like almost a hard counter to Logan. It really is in a lot of ways. and something to consider when you see Dr. Strange on the table. His next superpower is an active superpower. It is Oshtor's Refuge. It will cost you three power. This character or an allied character within range two of Dr. Strange removes up to three damage tokens. This superpower can be used only once per turn. That is strong. That's very strong. I am a big fan of this, Chris. Obviously paying three power to remove three damage is good. (laughs) Like it's strong. Now having three power is complicated. What's interesting is like med pack is one of the most used tactics cards in the game. It's an unaffiliated text card during characters activation. They may spend two power to play this card, remove three damage from this character or an allied character. So essentially this is a one cost more expensive med pack but you get to use it the whole game and med pack is a one-time use 
So one of the most used tactics cards in the game is also on Dr. Strange's card. It just costs one more. His next superpower, reactive superpower called Hogoth's Hori Wisdom, it costs two power. When Dr. Strange or an allied character within range three of Dr. Strange is targeted by an attack, Dr. Strange may use this superpower. Add two dice to the target character's defense roll against this attack. So Dr. Strange, for the cost of two, gets to buff up his defense by two or buff up an ally's defense by two within range three. So if you've got someone with four physical defense and they're attacked by a physical attack, he's now bumping that up to six. That's really strong. He is an incredible control piece. He really is. He's supporting his team. I'm a big fan. Let's talk about his next ability. It is an innate superpower. It is the Eye of Agamotto. Dr. Strange may modify and re-roll Skull dice results. Dr. Strange may re-roll all his attack or defense dice once per attack. This is really cool, Chris. So basically, he gets to break a game rule, which is where you can never re-roll skulls. Him and the Web Warriors are the only thing that can do that so far in the game we've seen thus far. So that's super cool. But also, more importantly, he just gets to re-roll all of his defense or attack dice one time. So if you really don't like your defenses or your attack, might as well re-roll it, you know? Like if no damage got through and you're really looking to build some power with that bolts of bedevilment, probably you're going to re-roll the attack. If they attack you and you just didn't roll any defense, you're just going to re-roll it. It's consistent. It's a gambling mechanic in some ways, but not really because you know what's on the table before you re-roll it. Yes, you get to make the choice of whether you want to make that re-roll or not. Once again, the theme is strong, Chris. He's manipulating like the world around him to benefit his defenses of himself and his allies. Breaking the rules of reality. It's real good. It's real good. His next two superpowers are also innate. The first one is Shield of the Seraphim. Whenever Doctor Strange rolls dice after the effect is resolved, so that's after all the steps have happened, Chris. So like everything has to be done basically. Like damage has to be dealt, you know, defense dice have to be fully resolved, all that. He gains one power if he rolled at least one block result. So this is really cool. Like even when he rolls attack dice and he rolls a block, that's normally horrible. It's basically just a blank for all intents and purposes. For Doctor Strange, he gains one power. Now keep in mind, if you have two blocks represented or something, he's just gaining one power. This is very similar to Beast's provocative ability, right? With the skull, Doctor Strange is with a shield, and I think it's super cool. And of course, finishing out his innate superpowers, he has flight. His movement's never messed up. And he's a gym bearer. He can take the soul and time gym. Chris, which is crazy. Very awesome. And of course, to refresh your memory, listeners at home, this is the first time we've seen the soul gem outside of Thanos. It's a one threat gem. It gives you the innate ability soul gem. When an enemy character within range four of this character uses a active or reactive superpower, this character gains one power after the effect is resolved. So basically enemies within range four of Dr. Strange, if they use superpowers, he gains one power. Super cool. And then of course, the infamous time gem is next. The time gem is two threat. Costs two power to use as an active superpower. This character may perform an additional action, this activation. This superpower may be used only once per turn. As we know, very hard to use, but the time gem is very powerful, Chris. Like breaking a major rule of the game, getting a third action when you only have two in the game is pretty cool. Gotta make it count. Yeah, it's tough. But with Doctor Strange, I think it counts because even to use the time gem potentially and just bolts of bedevilment three times, I mean, you've just moved three characters. That's very true. 
and gained a lot of power. You hopefully have gained a lot of power. I think you would have. And in the very least, like say you rolled some shields during those attacks, right? You're getting the shield of the Seraphim power as well. Oh, sure. It's a good turn if you can set it up properly. 100%. Now, what's interesting, Chris, is on his backside, nothing changes and he still has six stamina. He's very complex on his front side. Luckily, nothing changes on his backside. I will say with Strange, out of the two gyms, I have got a lot of success out of, of the soul gym. Essentially, running Doctor Strange for six threat is really viable because don't forget as well that during the power phase, if you have a gym, you gain one additional power per gym. So, Doctor Strange gaining two power a turn is really strong in itself. And then him getting more power every time an enemy uses a superpower around him is very powerful too. He's essentially always healing people. He's always buffing up people's defenses. He's always doing what he wants to do when he has the soul gem. I like that. I haven't got to play with that yet, but you just convinced me. You need the power, I will say. Because also the defender's ability, unfortunately costs power you know to hex them and change that attack type though super powerful and cool so chris closing out dr strange what do you think about him is just in a quick pass in a quick pass dr strange seems extremely powerful he seems like one of those characters that i'm probably not going to be very good with but that's okay he's fun he's very very cool he makes you think a little bit outside the box and it's fun to think about teams you can build around him absolutely or just putting him on other people's teams too like he is an avenger so him on avengers is just super neat superpowers costing one less not bad you know not bad but he also is really pricey you know him and cap alone is nine threat but, you know, him leading the defenders, this gets pretty cool. There's a lot of options, you know. I, I think he fits a lot of places. I've been really enjoying playing him in Web Warriors every once in a while when I have the higher threat. Because it turns out all those spider people with heals and extra defense dice, they're doing what they do best. <laughs> they're doing what they do best. But we've got to move on to Doctor Strange's best friend, Wong. So his name is Wong. His alter ego is Wong. I absolutely love that to death, Chris. On his healthy side, he has four stamina, a move of medium, a height of two, and a threat cost of two. His defenses are two physical, three energy, three mystic. And on his injured side, Chris, he also has four stamina. So Wong is a eight health, two threat character. It's a pretty good amount of health and defense for a two threat character. Yeah. His physical defense is pretty bad. But also, Doctor Strange can buff up his defenses, as we know. Right. So just getting into Wong's attacks, he only has one, Chris. It's a strike. It's a range two strike, which we know is the worst in the game. And it's four dice, which we know is the worst in the game. And it's physical. Zero power cost. After this attack is resolved, this character gains one power. So notice, that's not even the normal strike, Chris. This is just he gains one power. That's because power is very powerful on this character. True. So there's kind of a uh, bottleneck there. But yeah, it's kind of a bummer. But in the first couple of turns, you don't really need to to use this. It's just honest card for looks. It's the same as Lockjaw's bite. When the bite comes up on Lockjaw or when the punch comes up on Wong, it's going to be important. But most of the time, you're not doing these attacks with these full support characters. You're just not. That's okay. Inversely, Chris, I will say that I kind of like that Wong's attack just says after its resolved, he gains one power so like even if he whiffs he gains one power i actually kind of like that it's in a weird way it's a lot more consistent than a swingy four dice attack either way you know like oh did i get power oh i got i got a decent amount or oh, i got nothing you know absolutely wong just gets one and that's fine 
Well, his his superpowers aren't very expensive anyway. Well, I think you should start us off there, Chris, because he is a superpower character. His first superpower is going to be an active superpower. It is Faithful Assistant. It will cost you two power. Choose another allied character within range three of Wong. That character gains one power. A character may be affected by this superpower only once per round. So for two power, you transfer one of those powers to another character. Pretty awesome. Full support. I love it. Very powerful. Give Strange power turn one. Oh, yeah. Also a very good turn zero move, by the way. We'll get to that. So Wong's next ability is another active superpower called Meditate. Action. So he has taken action to do this. It costs zero power. Action. This character gains one power. So turn one of the game, Chris, you can action for zero power cost, gain a power. So now Wong is at two power. You can spend two power, give an allied character within range three of Wong a power. And then Wong has one more action, which is probably a move after that. That's a good turn one. Pretty solid turn one. Let's talk about his next power. It is another active superpower. It is the Vishanti's Blessing. It will cost you one power. It does take an action. Wong or an allied character within range three of Wong removes up to two damage or one special condition. A character may be affected by this superpower only once per round. So with Wong, you're going to have the opportunity to heal or remove status conditions twice every turn. Absolutely. You just got to be two different characters. Yeah, exactly. So as long as Wong has two power, he can do that, Chris. Now, interesting inverse to Dr. Strange. Dr. Strange has Oshter's Refuge. We talked about pay three to remove three damage. Wong's is pay one to remove two damage or a special condition. So Wong's heal is actually better for the money. It's pretty cool. You love to see it. I love to see it. And we obviously see a lot of cool synergy with the two of them together. Wong's last superpower is a innate superpower called Servant to the Sorcerer Supreme. While Wong is within range three of an ally Doctor Strange, he adds one die to all of his defense rolls. So that would make Wong's physical defense three and his energy and mystic four, as long as he's within range three of Strange. So where's Wong all game? Close to Strange. Oh, yeah. So, Chris, Wong is a full support character that enables Doctor Strange to do more things because he gives Strange more power. He also heals the team around Strange or heals Strange. I think it's pretty interesting that, like, you can Vishanti's blessing on Strange while Strange is spinning power to heal other people. It's kind of like a chain reaction of dominoes, you know? You've got to have the board set up just right to heal everyone on the same turn. And I'm glad you set that up well, Chris, because... Not only do you have to have everything set up right and have the power to do it, but everyone has to be in range of each other. And that's why I call this team the Protoss Ball in old StarCraft terms, because (laughs) you're just getting the most benefits when they're together. But it's also a weakness of the defenders sometimes. The defenders don't really want to split up because if someone's outside of Doctor Strange's defense bubble, they're getting no benefits from it. Yes, they can still change their attack types from the mystical hex, you know, change in defenders. But outside of that, they're not getting benefits from Strange and Wong. So they're a super fun team to play, but very high skill cap. The skill cap, the floor, everything is all over the place for this team as it should be. Defenders should be hard in some ways if it's all about Doctor Strange manipulating reality and attacks and things like that. I like it, but it it is tough. You want to Protoss ball up. You want to play this team and these characters when you're playing those maps and those objectives that are straight up Main Street, is what we like to call it. The Gamma Shelters 
the demons downtown, these sort of scenarios, they're just straight up the middle. Everyone's kind of coalesced in the middle of the board. I imagine there's some AOE attacks in this game that might love to tear right through that. I would say you're correct, Chris. And I think that leads us into our first tactics cards of these characters, which of course is Seven Sons of Cinnabus, which is a unique tactics card for Doctor Strange. It gives him a unique attack called Seven Sons of Cinnabus. If it is Doctor Strange's activation and there are two other non-dazed allied characters within range two of him, so two characters that are alive, once again, balling up, Strange may pay three power to play this card. Doctor Strange may use the Seven Sons of Cinnabus attack shown above once this turn. If the attack deals damage after the attack is resolved, the target enemy character gains the Incinerate special condition. Once again, that's an auto gains that. Chris, this is a beam five eight strength energy attack it's so gross (laughs) it's excellent yes you want to use this in very niche situations but when the niche situation happens you're beam fiving with eight dice hopefully a lot of people and then giving them incinerate which removes a defense dice from their defense rolls it's crazy it's such a nasty attack it's just mean it's pretty mean and it's pretty pretty fun and i think it's something you're going to consider when you're playing dr strange but something you're going to consider even more chris is dr strange and wong's tactic card called pentagram of Faralala. It's a defender's only tactics card, reactive, during the power phase. So once again, this has to happen basically at the start of a turn. You have cleanup of the last turn, the start of the power phase of the next turn, before any characters on either team have activated. Doctor Strange or Wong may spend two power to play this card. Place a mystic portal within range one of the character that played this card. So whether it was Strange or Wong that paid for it, you have to place the portal within range one of them. Then place a mystic portal within range five of the same character at any time during a character's activation. Notice it says eight characters, Chris. So that's both teams. While within range one of a mystical portal, it may spend one power once per turn to be placed within range one of another mystical portal. This is why you play defenders. So cool. I have been loving this card, Chris, because I like to send Hulk through the portal. Oh, you don't say. It's fun. It does require a lot of setup. I believe it. But if you could just place a portal on their back objective, how cool is that? It's very fun. I love the double-edged sword nature, too, that they can come through that portal as well. Oh, absolutely. And I'll give a quick example of that. One of the last times I played MCP, I played with a good friend and one of the patrons of the podcast, Dennis, he plays Doctor Strange a lot, and I do as well. And we both had this card, and we both played it. So you know what that means? There's four portals. So that means you're hopping, any characters hopping all over the (laughs) place. That's right. For me, it was Hulk, and for him, it was MODOK. So it was a bloodbath. Oh my. To quote Willem Dafoe, there was a firefight. It was a little intense. (laughs) It was a little much. It was almost meme level, but it was actually incredibly exciting and a close, intense game. And we both use the portals well, you know? It just adds these fun little wrinkles that makes every game, every time you sit down with a different team, or even just a different character on your normal kind of team, it can just change the whole complexion of the game. It's very, very fun. It's excellent. I'm a big fan. And what more can be said? I I will say for the listeners at home, if you see a player with Doctor Strange and MODOK or Doctor Strange and Hulk, you better be ready for this portal. That's what they're using it for. It's coming. It's going to happen. And it's around for the whole game. It's super cool. It 
poses a huge question if you like round one of the game teleport modok to the middle of the board it's crazy it sounds so fun also very difficult to pull off in all the right and wrong ways you know and that's what's so fun about it but it's a good time and i think when you're playing dr strange and wong you are taking this card probably every time if not taking the seven sons of cinnabus for fun or when it's right when you're playing those objectives that are at main street so closing out these two characters chris i will talk about some of the places i play them that i've had success and just fun dr strange of course i play in defenders because he is the leader I also play him in Avengers, have a lot of fun, but I also think he fits all over the place. I talked about him fitting in web warriors and buffing up your team, buffing up your spider people's defenses and healing them. He's incredibly strong there. So is Wong as well, because Wong sits on a back objective and then he moves up mid game and heals someone else and, you know, benefits the spider people a lot. Also though, both these characters fit fine in certain strange teams. You would think maybe they don't fit. Like they both fit Cabal quite well, like Wong giving Modok or Crossbones or whoever extra power and healing them. Very powerful. Dr. Strange in Cabal doing damage and moving people around gaining more power as he's doing more damage. Very, very intense. But also, Chris, like Doctor Strange is just so good. I think he's honestly good in any team. So if you have a team you like, say it's X-Men. Doctor Strange fits an X-Men because Storm moving him around, giving him cover. These are all good things, you know? Play him where you want to play him. And Wong is the same way. And Wong is complex because he's our first two threat in the game that can't fight that we've seen on our podcast so far. He really just can't fight. So with Wong, you're sitting on objectives and then you're healing people at the right times, passing power at the right times. So he is a lot more nuanced character to use than a Black Widow or a Rocket Raccoon or a Koye. But I encourage you to use him. I think he's really fun and he brings a different dynamic to the game, that full support, which we've never seen before. I've been looking forward to that full support character. I love that they're throwing this in the game. I love that these two characters can both heal yeah. It's just a fun wrinkle, especially when you factor in the the defenders should be in that Protoss ball like you were talking right. about. It's just you're going to be tossing heels left and right. It's very synergistic. It's very thematic. It's very well executed. They're really rewarding affiliation, Chris, because in a strange way, we've talked about sometimes the makeup of teams is what makes an affiliation, not necessarily their leadership ability. And that is very much the way with Strange and Wong, like being defenders and having other defenders around them and kind of in that Protoss ball and giving each other defenses and heals and all this stuff. That's truly the defenders at its core. But then you add the strategic times where you hex. And I like to do it with Hawkeye a lot, you know, shooting an arrow across the board. That's a mystic arrow. Get somebody who doesn't want it. That's scary, you know, <laughs> and now they're hex and they can't explode dice. That's very scary. Very nice. Don't use that hex all the time because it is expensive. But when you use it, it can absolutely flip an entire game. And that's what makes this affiliation very different from the other ones. Like it's not something that just happens all the time. It's choice times when you do it. And I think that's really, really neat and really flavorful with Dr. Strange. And I think it's perfect. And these are two of my favorite characters, Chris. And, you know, closing our strategy is something we haven't talked about in some time. And it's, you know, just gone over my head and that's on me. But like these two models are really good too. You know, Dr. Strange floating in the air in his portals, casting spells, and then Wong being up on an elemental cloud or an elemental magic mist, whatever you want it to be when you paint them. They're neat models on the board too. 
Oh, they're both absolutely gorgeous, wonderful sculpts. Yeah, and if you guys haven't checked out the Fury's Finest social media, I did a strange thing with my Doctor Strange and Wong, and Chris knows, but I went full Dragon Ball Z with mine. Mine is the older Gohan as Doctor Strange and Krillin as Wong, and they fit shockingly well, and they kind of fit their power sets too, which is pretty great. But it turned out fun. Mine are different from the normal ones on the board. And I just wanted a different take. I was seeing so many Doctor Stranges in the classic red and blue, rightfully so, and so many Wongs in the green. I really encourage you, especially with Wong, to do a different color scheme. He's worn a lot of different martial arts costumes of the years. He's even worn black. He's worn other colors. I love seeing other people's Wongs out there that are just different colors. I think it's a really fitting look for the character too. I think you kind of have more freedom than say like a Captain America, you know, Chris with Wong. Freedom and flexibility is an extremely wonderful asset in this game. Wong brings it. You just have to make sure there's some heavy hitters on your team to make up for that lack of offense. Absolutely. And he is a good pair with one of my favorite characters in the game, Hulk, because Hulk cannot survive with a detrimental condition token he just can't do hulk things so if wong is there to remove a stagger or remove a stun from hulk it is wonderful it's really nice fury's finest is supported by our wonderful patrons you can become a fury's finest patron by going to patreon.com slash fury's finest now that the world is about to start getting back to normal we want to stream again in the future especially if the patreon takes off too so follow us on twitch at twitch.tv slash fury's finest and catch our future marvel crisis protocol and tabletop streams there follow the show on social media check us out on twitter at fury's finest cast and instagram and facebook at fury's finest Email us with any inquiries or ideas at furiesfindus at gmail.com and continue to leave us Apple reviews. It helps us out so much. Thanks to Approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music. And like Jesse was saying, please, please help spread the word about our show. Rate, review, subscribe, maybe tell a friend. Absolutely. You can find Chris and I on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Jesse Aiken. That's J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. Of course, you can check out my Star Wars podcast, The Canon Cantina, all about Star Wars lore, canon, legends, and much more with a very extensive backlog of information on Star Wars if you just want to listen to our backlog too. Chris, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at Chris Bruffett, C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T, where I have tweeted. He has. I can confirm. Every time Chris tweets, it, it's there. It's happened, you know? It's, it's a tweet. <laughs> a tweet among tweets. It's a tweet among tweets. But thanks for joining us this episode, guys. It was really fun. Quite a challenging episode and quite a different episode. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast feed on your podcast listening platform of choice, because next episode, we will be discussing all the Atomic Mass news, spoilers, and live streams from the AMG Con. But until then, thanks for listening. True Believers. Excelsior. The world has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. Ten bucks says you're wrong. 